Welcome to the Different Functional Podcast, where we explore overcoming a traumatic past to live an authentic life today. As you listen, remember, the stories we share are our own. They are our perceptions, our views, and our interpretations. We're not family historians, and we're not mental health professionals. We're simply two sisters who grew up together in a dysfunctional family. We've spent years studying trauma and learning to use our past as a stepping stone for growth. Join us as we discuss the lessons and insights we have gained on our journey from dysfunctional to different functional. I'm your co-host Autumn, the older sister, and I am both terrified of change, but also completely unwilling to settle for the status quo. And I'm Ivy, the younger sister, and today my eyeballs are trying to crawl out of my head and escape because my allergies are so bad. I am allergic to everything in this state. Oh, I feel so bad for you. I, I used to have the worst allergies when I lived in the Midwest, like whether it was Missouri, Kansas, Oklahoma, like I would have to end up at the doctor because literally my eyes would almost be swollen shut. I would be like, I need some drugs. It was horrible. And I've had the opposite experience where I didn't really have that many allergy problems when I lived in Missouri and Oklahoma and did not start developing them until I moved to the West Coast. And now I feel like my brain's going to explode and my eyeballs are going to crawl out of my head and I will just have congestion forever and ever and ever. You know, though, like, I think this is actually a really good lead into what we're going to talk about today, though, because part of what we're talking about today is doing mental health check-ins. And you would think, oh, like, I just have allergies. It's not a big issue. But like we're going to explore later on, those things really can affect you, like whether you're allergic or not. I mean, because just think about it, just, you know, from that sensory standpoint, for me, the itching, everything itched. It was so itchy. My eyes, my nose, the back of my throat, the roof of my mouth. And when I was itchy, my frustration level was non-existent. It, it didn't take much. You dropped a spoon and I was ready to bite your head off because I had nothing left. Does, do, does it affect you on that level? Uh, I mean, some of it's definitely the irritation from the sensory issues. I think the bigger issue for me is the brain fog. I get horrible brain fog when my allergies really act up. And it's so hard for me to focus on things and just function in general and then you get like a little bit of irritation with yourself because you're like oh my god why can i not do anything and there's no forgiveness in my brain sometimes it's just like no you should be able to function no matter what are your eyeballs trying to crawl out of your head i don't care you should be able to do things you should be able to be as productive as you always are and more so no excuses excuses for the week Allergies make you be stronger. So I, I kind of get stuck in a, a sneaky hate spiral sometimes because I get really hard on myself because my body has weaknesses and vulnerabilities and I am not okay with that. So that's where my allergies affect my mental health, brain fog and self-loathing. <laughs> And you like you really wouldn't think about that, though, like a lot of times when we just go through life, we have just these really normal things that happen and we don't think about how they affect our mental health. And I think that's really what we want to dive in today. I mean, our topic today is mental health check ins and you get told a lot, oh, like you should do a mental health check in or, you know, you really need to be aware of yourself. Well, that's all nice, you know, and, and I love when people tell you those things, but I'm always like, OK, but how? 
Or like one of my bosses always used to say, what does that look like? And I love that. What does that look like? And that's what we're going to talk about today. And, and really to start this off, I just want to say like one of the reasons we're looking at this and one of the reasons Ivy and, brought, Ivy and I have brought this topic into the podcast is her and I get told a lot that we are super in touch with your body. Or for me, like I'm told, oh, Autumn, you're so in touch with your emotions. Um, you're so analytical. Uh, what kind of things do you hear, Ivy? I don't think anybody could uh, could say that I am in touch with my emotions because that is one thing I am not. But I do often get told that I really seem like I have it all together, especially considering everything that I've been through. Uh, when people hear my my story, my background, they're like, how do you have it so well together? How are you so well balanced and well adjusted? And how are you so self-aware? And the, I get lots of comments on my analytical ability to not only be aware of what's going on with me, like what I'm experiencing in the now, but also all of the things that could be contributing to that. It does not take me long to be able to piece together, okay, I feel shitty today. Why do I feel shitty today? Well, because this and this and this and this, and I have like my bullet points of things that I can automatically within a few seconds narrow down to causes for what's going on with me. And a lot of that just comes down to just being extremely well versed in how to do a mental health check in. And I think that's the, the thing, though, like you just said, well versed, because I feel like a lot of times when people give me these compliments, or they give me these observations, they say it like, Oh, my gosh, you're so tall, or oh my gosh, you know, you're so whatever, like it's something that I am just naturally this way. Like, oh yeah, I just popped out of the womb and I knew automatically how I was feeling that day. It, it, it doesn't work that way. Cause I know I personally, I mean, crap, it's probably been since I was 13 trying to sort this out. So now I'm going on 40. So that's a good long time. That's a few decades that I've been trying to learn how to do this. How long have you been working on this? I think for me, I knew that I was going to be pretty screwed up if I didn't start sorting some things out when I was probably 14, just shy of 15. And 15 is when I went into counseling for the first time. Cause I just knew like <laughs> looking, looking at our childhood and looking at our family, uh, especially once I got away from our parents and I was living with our aunt Rita, looking at everything, I just thought I'm going to be really fucked up. I should probably do something about that. So that's, that's what I did. I immediately jumped into therapy. And one of my big things when I got into therapy was like, I don't just want you to make me feel good for an hour. I don't want you to just compliment me and things like that. I want you to teach me tools because I won't be able to afford this for very long. Because I knew I, I just wasn't going to be able to, I wasn't going to be able to afford counseling forever. So I needed to learn as many tools as I could right away so that I could start working on myself. And one of those important tools is that self-awareness and the ability to understand to, to recognize what's going on with you and then also understand root causes. Like that process of figuring that out is years. I feel pretty well-versed and well-adept at it now, but I'm almost 34. So from 15 to 34, I've been working on it. And for the most part, I can figure things out pretty quickly, but every once in a while I still get stumped. There are still things that I have difficulty figuring out. And part of that's because like things evolve and change over time. Your body chemistry evolves and changes, your circumstances and circumstances in life. That's why it's so important to be able to do that mental health check so that you can recognize patterns and you can recognize changes and you can start being able to identify new root causes that may come up of what's kind of going on with you. 
I, I definitely say that's true. It definitely changes over time. And it's a skill, like you said, you can't just put it on the back burner. I mean, if you were practicing the piano or whatever, if you played for 20 years and then all of a sudden you stopped, I would imagine if you get back on that piano another decade later, it's not going to sound like what it did when you practice all the time. And that's really a big piece of the mental health check-ins is doing this on a regular basis so it becomes so familiar. And and the wonderful thing about this, which we'll talk about more later, is that when you do this on a regular basis, oh my gosh, it becomes so much easier. Like when you first start out, it, it feels like this huge struggle. It's like, oh my gosh, there's so many questions. There's so many factors I have to be aware of. But a lot of the times now, it's just like Ivy said, these bullet points, this checklist. I mean, for me, I can do this almost second nature without thinking about it. And then it's only at that point where I'm like, oh, well, I still don't know. That's where that trip up comes in, those changes Ivy were talking about. But since I've done this so much, I kind of now know what to look at and examine. And so really to start talking about this, what is a mental health check-in? Well, with a mental health check-in, the way Ivy and I are looking at it, we don't know about the rest of the world. But what we're trying to do with this is identify when something is off or wrong or just doesn't feel quite right. Then you also need to learn how to identify symptoms of when something is off. And that's really where it starts is, is, is finding those symptoms so that you can track it down. And then once you realize that something is off, identifying the root of the problem. Because if you don't have this knowledge that A, you know, something's going wrong, and B, why is it going wrong? You can't fix it. So if you have something in your life that you're wanting to change, you first have to even be aware that it's there, and then you have to know what's going on with it. And the really, to me, and I think Ivy agrees with this, the very, very first step of a, of a mental health chicken is being aware of your psychological state. So, I mean, this way it's really self-explanatory. And now when we're talking about psychological state, because you know me, I love the definitions. What is a psychological state? What we're talking about is basically how are you mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, relationally? Because really your psychological state isn't just like in your mind. It, it's a very holistic thing. And you have to look at yourself holistically. You are wanting to know that second, that day, that moment, where are you at? Where are you at mentally? Where are you at emotionally? Where are you at physically? Where are you at spiritually? And where are you at relationally? And for me, I always start physically. And if you ever look into diagnosis and the DSM and things like this, one of the very first things in, in how to diagnose that they always ask you, is there a physical reason for this? Because the reality is, is if there's a physical reason for something, then all the amount of changing self-talk and reframing and therapy isn't going to do shit for you because it's a physical problem. And so for me, I always start with the physical. I, I think another Im important point to make on the physical is, is not only do you need to be looking for potential physical causes, but you also need to be considering as well that like a lot of times for many of us, because life gets busy and it gets chaotic and we have all these responsibilities and all these demands on our time, sometimes it's hard for us to be aware of like where we're at mentally and emotionally. So for a lot of us, the initial manifestations of something going on with us, with our mental health, we actually feel in our bodies. So, you know, one of the first things that I look at for myself is, you know, how am I sleeping? Uh, do I feel really drained? Do I feel tired? Uh, do I have brain fog? Can I focus on, on things? Um, you know, am I having any body pain? Like those are all things that I look at because those can all be significant indicators of a mental health issue going on 
But we may not necessarily look at those things and think, oh, this is a mental health issue. We may just look at it and be like, oh, I have a headache today. But we may not realize that that headache is coming from stress and our bodies tensing up in response to more, more mental or emotional stress. What you just said, that tension, that tensing up, that is a big one for me. And that's one of the very first things I look at is, do I feel tension? And you're very much right. Like that's where we're really expressing our, our emotional states and our psychological states at the base levels in our body. It gets expressed here. And for me, tension is the big thing. Are my shoulders hunched up by my ears? Do I feel my jaw clenching? Do I have that like that frown between my eyebrows? I also look at my breathing because you can really notice tension I found in my breathing. And I'm like, okay, why am I breathing so shallow? What's what's going on? And I start to realize, oh, my my chest is really freaking tense. That's why. So, I mean, when you start looking for tension, it's everywhere. And And I feel like for me anyways, and I don't know how it is for others, that pain is kind of the stip past tension. So at first I feel tension where I'm like, oh, that is a slightly tight muscle. But it has taken me a long time to identify tension before I had pain. Because usually it was like, holy shit, I can't open my eyes because my head hurts so bad. And I really had to work back from that pain to notice a little bit before it got that bad. And then a little bit before that, and a little bit before that. And eventually you trace it far enough back and I realized, oh, oh crap. Yep. My neck is feeling a little stiff today. I got to do something about it. And I, I think that was awesome for me figuring that out because it did help me avoid a lot of pain. One of the things that has become maybe the biggest physical indicator for me that I'm having mental health stuff going on is digestive problems. And I started discovering more of that after I found out that I had bipolar disorder and I really didn't want to go on psychiatric medication. Not There's no judgment towards anybody who is on it, but I have not had good experiences with it. And it's very triggering for me because of issues with, with my mom. But because I didn't want to go on that, I was looking for other alternatives. And so I picked up a book on natural medicine for bipolar. And that we actually, if you if you are interested in that, on our resources page, on our website, differentfunctional.com, there is a link to that book and other books that are similar to it. But they focused a lot on diet and how people with bipolar disorder have tend to have specific trigger foods. So I, what I did was I eliminated one of those trigger foods at a time because I was like, okay, well, I, I don't know if I believe in this because at that time I wasn't sure and I didn't know that much about microbiome and how food can affect not just your physical health, but your mental health. So I started eliminating one thing at a time. And as I did that, I started paying attention not only to how I physically felt, but to how, how my mentality shifted and how my mental health symptoms changed. Like sugar was the first one that I really ditched because that's one that's triggering for a lot of people, even people who are neurotypical. So when I got rid of sugar, I at least drastically decreased it. I noticed that I had way less anxiety and I had way less depression. And anytime that I would splurge and I would go you know, over on my sugar and eat more of it than normal, within 15, 20 minutes, anxiety. And it would be bad. It would be a really bad anxiety spike. It would last for a few hours. And then when it when I came down from that, I would feel really depressed. And that was my first clue that, oh man, like food actually can seriously affect your, your mental health. And so I started eliminating some of those other foods. And each time I did, 
I became aware of how that particular trigger food affected my mental health, how it improved when I got rid of that trigger food or how it would act up when I splurged and I ate something that I shouldn't have or I ate too much of something that I shouldn't have. So I really look now at kind of like digestive issues and what foods I eat. There are certain things that I know if I eat this today, I will have these consequences tomorrow. I'll have these consequences as far as mood, I'll be depressed or I'll feel anxious or whatever. Or I also am aware of things that it will cause for me physically. My body does not like dairy. It does not like gluten. I get stomach cramps. I have all sorts of those problems. And I have pain associated with that. And the pain makes my mental health stuff worse because pain does that. Pain puts you in a really bad mood. It makes you stressed out and it makes you irritable. So for me, one of the first things that I look at now is my digestive health. When something is off with me, that is automatically now the first thing that I go to. And that's one of the, that's an example of how it can vary from person to person, what your mental health check-in will include. For me, it's very much about food. For Autumn, it's very much about, you know, muscle tension and that kind of pain. Oh, and I think I do have to be aware of food too. And and I want to note on that too, like you said, you know, if I ate this the next day, and that was one of the things that it took me forever to tease out. And what I found was it wasn't the next day. It was exactly 48 hours later. I have no freaking clue why. And it doesn't matter what type of sugar it is, whether it's processed sugar, whether it's natural sugar, whether it's honey, whether it's whatever, if it has sugar in it, exactly 48 hours later, I will get a headache. And about 24 hours later, I will look like a squirrel on freaking meth. I will be biting my lips. I'll be chewing. I can't stop talking. I feel like I have a beehive in my chest. And I'm starting to discover that I'm having issues, I believe, with beef and dairy. But what I'm having trouble with these, though, is that it's not the next day or it's not the next couple of days. It's when I hit my period. And that's really weird to me. So if I'm like just ending my period and I have some cheese or some hamburger and I may not notice anything until the next time I hit that cycle. And then all of a sudden my PMS is so much worse. I'm cramping more. I'm having all these issues. And I have no idea why. And honestly, at this point, I don't really care why. I just know that this is my reality. So, you know, if you if you start bringing these type of food things issues up or any other issue and people are like, oh, that's not a thing or it's all in your head, doesn't fucking matter. I'm just going to say that right now. If it helps you, it doesn't have to make sense and it doesn't have to be scientifically validated. If it's true for you, then make the changes you need to make. And with that, I think that's the next thing I wanted to point out because that's really big with sugar for me is um, the biting my lips. So that's another thing I look at physically is ticks. And, and by ticks, I mean things you don't have control of. Um, for me, it is, is biting my lips. I start ripping all that skin off until they are bloody and bleeding and scabbed up and I can't help myself. Um, you also have people out there that skin pick or you pick at your scalp, little bits on your scalp and you're constantly doing that or your face. Have you had things like that, Ivy, with your body? Uh, yeah, I definitely have. Uh, one note that I want to make on the the dairy and beef thing. I know you said it doesn't matter to you, but in case it matters for, for somebody else, uh, I part of my issue with dairy is because of the hormones in dairy and it affects my menstrual cycle and how bad my PMS is. And there is tons of research that has been done on that where that the hormones in dairy and a lot of hormones end up in beef can, can drastically impact your mental health because of the effect on hormones. So I just wanted to make that note there really quick. But as far as like the you know, the nervous tics and habits and things like that. I obsessively play with my hair. I have done it since I was a baby. My mom always told me that pretty much from the time I came out of the womb, I had my fingers in my hair. 
And as a child, it was a very self-soothing thing for me, but I did not realize that's what it was. I just played with my hair all the time. As an adult, it's really only been over maybe the last three, four years that I recognized that for me, it is a nervous tick at this point. I do it in response to anxiety. And it's almost become like a negative feedback loop in the sense that I play with my hair to cope with my anxiety, but now my brain has it linked that playing with my hair means I'm anxious. So then playing with my hair makes me more anxious, which is very frustrating when the thing that you do to self-soothe is also something that makes you anxious because now you're stuck in this negative feedback loop. That's the main one for me. I mean, there are other little things, mostly just kind of being fidgety, not being able to sit still. It is very difficult for me as a rule in general to sit still for very long. It's one of the first indications to me that I am feeling extremely anxious is that I feel like I need to clean everything around me. And it is not because I am germaphobic because I'm not, but I need that sense of control over my environment. I need everything to look clean and neat and organized and tidy. And I need to be moving and cleaning is something I don't have to think about. I don't have to focus really. I can do it on muscle memory. I just start obsessively cleaning. I It has gotten so bad at points in the past where I will have cleaned for so long with such a brace of chemicals that I will have like chemical burns on my hands from bleach and things like that because I'm not wearing gloves. I don't care about that. I just need to clean. I just need to clean my environment. I need it to be orderly. I need it to be clean. I need to feel like I have control over the situation and I need to be doing something. And that's the easiest thing for me to do without having to think too hard about it and not requiring any focus that lets me get that nervous, anxious energy out. But that's a tick, essentially, not a small thing like biting my fingernails or playing with my hair, but it is something that I do in response to my anxiety. So I consider it to be kind of a tick in a sense. Oh, I think it definitely is. And I think that really hallmarks why it's so important to do this physical check-in first, because this is really where we see this stuff coming out. And if you can check in this physical stuff, you're going to find out, hey, I'm anxious because you're this. You know, for Ivy, if she's in the middle of cleaning something and she's like, wait, why am I cleaning this? The apartment's clean. Well, that's a real good trigger to her that like, oh, crap, something's going on with me. This is something I'm doing. And and sometimes that happens. You're in the middle of something. I'm in the middle of wondering why my lip is bleeding before I realize, oh, I'm anxious. I notice for me, another thing is, um, I, I guess it's more tied into the physical behavior, but I get clumsier, uh, start dropping things more. I walk into door frames a lot. So when I start being off mentally, and this usually tends more towards my depression than my anxiety for me. I, I definitely get clumsier. For me, it's not just linked to depression. It's it's any time I've got something just mentally off, whether I'm depressed, whether I'm anxious, whether I'm just feeling really drained or really heavy or whatever, I, I do become a lot more clumsy. It's always on those days where I feel like I am on the verge of like breaking down in tears or losing my temper or whatever. It's always on those days where, you know, I catch my coat on the doorknob on the way out the door, or I drop my keys four times on the way down the stairs, or I spill my coffee grinds everywhere as I'm trying to put them in the trash. Like it's always on those days. And that's a sign to me that, okay, something is off with me and I am not, I'm not able to, like I'm not moving smoothly. I don't have good spatial awareness. I'm bumping into things. I'm just, I'm so in my head. And I think that's what it is, is I'm so in my head 
that I lose awareness of my body, um, of the boundaries of my body, of the boundaries even of my, you know, my kind of energy, if you want to call it that. I'm not able to operate in a way that's like cohesive. My brain and my body are very disjointed from each other. And so I do end up being a lot more clumsy. I always end up with scrapes and scratches and bruises and, you know, cut myself with a knife when I'm making dinner. And it's, it's, I think that's a really huge indicator that maybe a lot of people don't recognize as being a sign that something is off until you've had a whole day of that and you are leaving work and you catch your coat on the door and you just lose your shit start you know yelling or you start crying or something and then you realize man like i'm just i'm at my wit's end but you've been at your wit's end the whole day you just didn't know it until that last little bit of clumsiness pushed you over the edge yeah and i think that also points out something really important too is i think a lot of people think that the physical stuff that's happening causes these mental things and and they kind of look at this in the reverse of what the reality is it's like oh well i'm upset because i've been dropping stuff all day or i'm in a bad place because i'm hurting intense but a lot of times i mean i'm not saying that's always the case but a lot of times it's the opposite you are clumsy or you are in pain because there's something going on and so you really have to be aware of that and, and I mean, this in, is all, involves all physical things. I mean, it's even like your heart and your blood pressure, your pulse rate, your breathing rate, um, how, you're, how you're digesting things like we've talked about. Um, another one, which I didn't even think about until I you know, had to have one of these check-in relation, or relationship check-ins um, with my boyfriend was sex drive. You know, and he had pointed out, you know, your sex drive has been really, you know, non-existent lately. And I realized, you know, that right there, that's a physical cue about my mental health is how much do I want or not want sex? Because I know for me in the past, especially um, during certain points, I am sex driven. Like I can't think about anything but sex. I mean, I feel like a cat in heat almost. But then other times I'm like, Ugh, don't, even, don't even look at me. What is that? Is it a penis? Oh God, I think I'm going to vomit. And it's very either into the scale and that, that spectrum in between. But I've just recently realized, you know, my sex drive is this indicator about how am I physically feeling in my psychological self? I just want to share with our, our listeners a funny note is that, that Autumn and I actually, we, we had sat down last week and we were trying to put together this mental health checklist of things that you would put on there. We came up with this long list of all of these physical symptoms. Neither of us thought of sex drive. We got on our call today and Autumn brought that up and I was like, oh shit, I feel like that says something about me that I just didn't even think about that. Like sex was just not on my mind at all. I think that is a, a definite indicator for a lot of people, whether it's you're depressed and you just don't take enjoyment in things anymore, or you're anxious and you just, the idea of it stresses you out too much or, you know, whatever, or maybe, you know, when you're feeling anxious, maybe your sex drive goes up as a way of trying to release some of that nervous energy. It can go in any direction, but anything that's out of the ordinary for you, an increase or a decrease in a particular thing, because it's not always going to be a drop off of something. Sometimes it's an increase in something that wouldn't normally be there. If you're somebody who normally like, oh, you know, sex like once a week, that's cool or whatever. And then all of a sudden you need it every single day. That's an indication that something is going on there too. It's just a matter of being aware of what's going on with you so you can see patterns and know what needs to be addressed. And maybe that particular area doesn't need to be addressed, but you definitely always want to be looking for patterns of things that are just out of the ordinary for you. Definitely out of the ordinary. And I think also for me, um, 
uh, when they don't match. And, and I mean this on two, two, two senses. Um, the first is when they don't match my perception, when reality doesn't match perception. And a great example of this is sometimes when I get anxious, I feel like my heart is beating a mile a minute. It's not. I have a normal pulse. I'll take my pulse. But it feels like it. And, and when I start feeling that mismatch, that like, oh, well, it feels like I'm hungry. But really, I'm not. I'm actually quite full. That mismatch for me is a real indicator like, hey, something's off. And another one for me is when it doesn't match the context. And I feel like this is this is something I'm going to introduce in every single thing we look at is do your your whatever's happening, do your physical symptoms, do your mental symptoms, do your whatever, do they match the context? Because the reality is, is maybe you wake up and you're tired and you're sluggish and everything hurts and you're just not feeling great today and your digestion's off and you just got over the flu. Well, that makes all sorts of sense that you, you feel this way. You know, it's like, oh, well, there's the definite reason I, I just had the flu. Of course, I feel like crap today physically. But if you've had nothing going on and it's just normal life and you actually felt pretty good the day before and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I'm tired and I don't feel good. Well, there's that mismatch between what's actually happening in reality and what's happening with your body. And those mismatches can really help you find those patterns of, of what's happening and why is it happening and what's going on. Yeah, and I, I want to make a note there too. And when we're talking about um, illness, whether illness that you're getting over, illness that maybe you're even just like moving into, like you were feeling fine yesterday, and this morning you wake up feeling, you know, not great. Maybe it's because your, your mood's off, but maybe it's because you're coming down with something. I want to kind of take it back a little bit to kind of the the things we were talking about with food and your microbiome and stuff like that, because those things do affect your mood. If you are sick and you you just can't eat you know, and you're not able to get the nutrients that you need in your body, that's going to affect your mental health. Or you just feel awful and you feel congested and you just feel, you know, yuck. And especially if you have that for a few days and it's just not going away, like that's going to affect your mental health as well. Because, you know, even if it's because you're so congested and you're coughing so much, you can't even get enough oxygen. You may be a little bit oxygen deprived and that can affect your mood because you're just not operating on all cylinders. So that's also something to take into consideration too, that if you are sick, starting to feel sick or you're at the tail end of it and your mood is a little bit off, that can all be linked in together as well. And maybe that's not something that you need to be worried about in terms of your mental health, but it's definitely something you want to be prepared for. Because I find that for me, being prepared for situations in which I know my mental health is going to suffer a little bit is really helpful for me and not panicking when it happens. When I'm getting ready to, to kind of go into my period, I know that there's going to be certain things that are going to happen first couple of days, I'm going to have really high anxiety or even paranoia. Sometimes my anxiety is so bad that there's paranoia. I know I'm going to have a day or two where I feel kind of depressed. I'm going to feel really tired and stuff. Knowing that going in helps me not to panic when it happens, because when it happens, I can be like, there is nothing really wrong here. This is something that's naturally occurring with my body. And it also helps in terms of my relationship with my boyfriend, because when I know that's coming, I can give him a heads up a couple days in advance. It's like, I feel the anxiety starting to build. And I just want you to be aware because I don't want us to end up fighting because my anxiety spikes and you don't know what's going to happen. And then we have misunderstandings. So having that preparedness 
when you know that something is coming, especially something going on with your body, whether you're feeling sick or your period's coming or you're, you're going to be traveling a lot and you're going to have jet lag, those kinds of things, knowing in advance is so helpful in making sure that it doesn't get blown out of proportion when it actually happens and you don't beat up on yourself for having a mental health issue or feeling depressed or feeling anxious in response to something that's just naturally occurring with your body. And it's just going to happen. Some things are just going to happen. You won't always be able to head it off at the pass and make it not happen. And that's really what the mental health check-in is all about. It's that awareness and and how you can use that, whether it be to change things or whether it be to accept things or whether it be to prepare for things. And then, like Ivy was saying, you know, there's a, a large plethora of reasons that um, you might have these physical symptoms. And that's why you have to do the mental health check-in on so many facets. It's why it has to be holistic. And so after you check in with yourself physically and you've kind of done this checklist and you're like, okay, this is where I'm at. You then need to look at mentally. At least that's where I go next. I mean, we've we've got we're going to have a mental health checklist PDF sheet on our resource page on our website, and so you can see all these. and And you get to choose however you do this, honestly, because it's for you. But like I said, I start physically, and the next thing I go mentally. And the reason for that is because I am a super ridiculously logical person, and so I am very much able to be in tune with my thoughts. So with my body, it's really easy to see stuff. I'm like, ow, that hurts. It's in pain. It's a clear thing I can point to. And that helps me start doing this check-in and getting, you know, where am I at? The next piece for me is my thoughts. And that's that mental piece. It's how am I thinking today? Um, how am I focusing? How am I um, able to be distracted easily? Or can I really like tune into things? One of the big things for me is uh, speed of thought is huge because I am a big anxious person. I don't know if you can tell that by how fast I usually talk and how I constantly talk, but anxiety is a big thing. And so one of the very first things I notice for me mentally is how fast are my thoughts today? Because if they're just like, go, 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 that's probably a good indicator. I'm pretty anxious today. Some days though, I'll check in and my thoughts are just sluggish. Which is weird for me because usually it's just insane. It's everything at once. It's the universe exploding in my mind is my typical thought pattern. And so for me, that change comes in is, huh, I, I don't have very fast thought today. I, I wonder what that means. And that's the change we're talking about. So I've gotten used to the fact that my mind is like a squirrel on meth lost in a beehive. It's got a lot going on. So for me, that mental health check-in isn't like, oh my gosh, I'm anxious in my thoughts. No, it's like, oh, hey, things have slowed down. And that's not even an indicator something's wrong. Maybe it's an indicator that I'm doing something right and I'm moving forward, but it's still a change that I want to be aware of. Another thing that I, I pay attention to is like, can I focus on one particular thought? Can I split my focus? Sometimes you're in the middle of doing something. Like if I'm in the middle of making dinner and my boyfriend comes up to speak to me and I have to stop making dinner in order to interact with him, that's an indication to me that something is a little bit off with me that day because normally I can do both. Maybe normally you can't. Maybe normally you're somebody that really needs to focus on what you're doing at that moment. But for me, it is not uncommon for me to be doing two or three things at the same time and carrying on a conversation with somebody. So when I'm not able to do that, it lets me know that you know, something's a little different today. Uh, also, the kind of thoughts that I'm having, and I, I know Autumn's got some, some kind of examples too, but the kinds of thoughts that I'm having 
are one of the biggest indications to me of whether or not something is wrong. Because some days everything goes really well. Everything's moving smoothly. I'm able to focus on multiple things. I'm able to carry through on a linear thought. I, I'm in kind of a positive headspace, like good and like all of that. And then there are other days when out of nowhere, I will have the most absurd negative thoughts. And I know it's ridiculous, but it's a sign to me that something is wrong. You know, most days when my boyfriend leaves for work in the morning, you know, I give him a kiss and it's, it's great. It's wonderful. I look forward to seeing him when he gets home. Other days he leaves for work in the morning and I'm obsessively thinking he's going to wreck on the way to work and he's going to die and I'm never going to see him again. And I can't get that thought out of my head. And I know that that's a day when I'm, I'm going to have kind of a rough go of things because I, my mind has already that day started on that track of catastrophizing and worrying and being fearful, being paranoid. Uh, and these, a lot of times the entire day will go like that. And sometimes no matter how hard I try to get off of that track, I can't. You have the struggle as well of like, I know I'm being ridiculous. This is crazy. I feel like I'm going insane. I'm, you know, I should be able to fix this. And then you start beating up on yourself and that just makes it worse. And sometimes you get so wrapped up in that that you can't pull back from it. But it's important to be aware of those things. It's important to be aware of what kinds of thoughts that you're having. Are they generally of a positive nature? Do they make you feel pretty good? Are you feeling confident? Are you feeling productive? Or are you feeling really down on yourself? Are you really worried about things? Are you having a lot of fear? Yeah, and, and with that, I mean, it's really three pieces you're talking about with that. And the first is like kind of the mood of the thoughts. Are they positive? Are they negative? Are they neutral? And being able to even just identify that general theme. And then from there, what are those content of the thoughts? So, you know, you know, you now have the feel of the thoughts, but next is that content. What am I focused on? Because maybe for Ivy today, it's her body and she's just freaking out and she feels like she looks like shit and it's all focused on the body. Or maybe it's the relationship. You know, there's often a theme to the content of your thoughts as well. Um, a, a catastrophizing is a really bad one for me. It usually, again, because I, I am so big on safety, it goes to safety. And, you know, it's the, I'm going to get fired. I'm going to end up homeless. I'm going to end up starving. This isn't okay. And that's, it's a definite theme. And that underlying theme is I'm worried for my safety. The, the third part you really spoke to also, and I think there's a really, really, really important one is can you let your thoughts go or not? Do you have control over your thoughts because to me that's one of the biggest indicators for me of how I'm doing that day is can I shift my attention or focus so I, I worry a lot I'm anxious a lot and so I'm always in the back of my mind going oh do we have enough money for this or what if I get fired the problem is is what if I cannot let that thought go if that is all that consumes me today. And that's a big problem. And that's a huge indicator that something is going on with me because I can't shift. I can't, I can't control it in essence. It's become an obsession for me. One of the things that's helpful for me, making sure there's more than one voice in my head. And when I say that, what I mean is that, that I have a voice of reason in my head too. Even if I think that voice of reason is full of shit, I make sure that it is still there, that there is something in me that is trying to counteract the negative thoughts. If I'm having a day where I hate my body, and that does happen, sometimes I do have body dysmorphia, I've had a history of eating disorders in the past, 
on those days where I absolutely despise my body and all I want to do is tear myself down, I force myself to say nice things about myself or at least neutral things about myself. Or I force myself to say, you know, this is a temporary feeling. I do not feel like this every day. This is not going to last forever. For every negative thing that I say to myself or about myself or every, you know, catastrophizing fear and fantasy that I, I build up in my head, I always make sure that there is a voice of reason on the other side trying to mitigate the damage, trying to pull things back. Whether I'm able to be successful in that varies from day to day, but I always want to make sure that that other voice is there, not letting myself kick myself when I'm down. Because on those days, you already kind of feel like the world's kicking you when you're down. Don't beat up on yourself all the time too. If you do end up beating up on yourself, make sure that you have another voice in your head trying to counteract that. Even if you believe that voice is full of shit, even if it's faking it until you make it, do it. One of my favorite lines from a song ever was from Jules' song, Barcelona. And it says, loving someone else is always so much easier, but I hold myself hostage in the mirror. And sometimes that's what it is. Sometimes in order to counteract those negative thoughts, especially negative thoughts about yourself and almost all of us, if not all of us struggle with that from time to time, Sometimes we have to do that. Sometimes we have to hold ourselves hostage in the mirror. Sometimes we have to use that voice of reason, even if we don't believe it. Because if you don't start that pattern of counteracting that negativity of trying to calm your mind, you'll just continue to spiral out and you just create this negative feedback loop where there's nothing to fight back against that. There's nothing to counteract that. And I think that's, you know, that's really excellent thought on that too. And that's part of the mental health check-in is like, once you get more proficient at this, and even when you're just starting out, is using this mental health check-in as a triage. And triage is where you'd identify like, you know, the worst thing and you address it right now because it's almost life-threatening. And when you come across these things in your mind that you know are huge things, you're like, okay, this is going to do, like Ivy said, it's going to lead me down the sneaky hate spiral you know you need to triage that. And so that sometimes means you stop that mental health check-in and you'd be like, nope, I'm dealing with this thing right now. And I know one of my big things, and I, I think this comes from my autism, is the rigid thinking. I, I get really, really black and white thinking and I start freaking out sometimes. Um, so like Ivy was talking about you know, your boyfriend interrupts you when you're making dinner. And for her, it's like, do I need to stop making dinner? And for me, what happens on my bad days is my boyfriend interrupts me making dinner and I get irate because this is dinner making time. This is not talking time. I am cooking. We are not talking. And it's this very rigidity in my thinking. It's either or, you know, I can talk or I can cook and I can't do both. And you're asking me to do both and it's not the right time for it. And you didn't transition. And, and I start getting really, really rigid in my thoughts and really, really rigid in what I can do. And I lose that flexibility. And, and that's one of those points I have to go, whoa, okay, okay, something is happening here. And that's one of my triage moments. So when I see that rigidity in me, I know, okay, this is going to lead to an autistic meltdown. I'm going to end up breaking something and probably crying so much my head's going to hurt. I don't want that. And so, so I have to stop and be like, okay. Um, now with that, I just kind of want to wrap up um, other things mentally to think about. Um, can you process information? Can you problem solve? Um, that's a big thing is are you able to actually think about things? Um, can you do something and actually make it through? Because sometimes 
problem solve, you think, oh, like it's a big problem. But this applies even to just basic functioning thinking, like making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Even stuff like that, just being able to follow a thought through, being able to process information and being able to problem solve. That's another big thing mentally. Other things are just, do you have anything that's happened recently that you're obsessed about? Was there a recent trauma or a death or something that happened that has really been in your mind and lingering? Or that could even be a dream. Sometimes you wake up with super intense dreams. And these are all things that are really affecting you mentally. That being able to follow follow through on a thought, follow through an entire process, especially being able to like man manifest something, even if what you're manifesting is a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, sometimes that's really, really hard to do. Uh, and I definitely have my days like that. We all have a tendency to beat up on ourselves when something that should be simple is suddenly not simple for us. Something that came so easily yesterday now is somehow impossible. And we, we all kind of have have the tendency to be like, oh my God, why am I so stupid? I should be able to do this. This is ridiculous. I'm an idiot. Like, don't do that. And if you are going to do that, make sure again, you have that other voice in your head counteracting that. And again, I mean, that's the importance of the mental health check-in too. And of doing this regularly is getting to know yourself. So you know, when things are changing and when you know, things are different and getting to know what those, those triggers are, those cues are, so you can be aware of them. And then of course, just the last thing I'm going to say on the checking in with yourself mentally part is does your mental state make sense for the context? Just like your physical state needs to make sense for the context, does your mental state. So again, what's been going on in your life. You know, if you recently experienced a death, then yeah, you're probably going to be having serious negative thoughts. You're not going to be able to focus on things. Um, your content is going to be about the loved one and about loss. And that all makes sense. So again, look for that cue of does what I'm thinking about, are my thoughts matching with what's going on in reality? And that's a big cue if they're not matching. You know, if everything's happy and you just are negative and hateful and can't think about things and can't focus, that's probably something's going on with you because there is that disconnect. Now, once we've looked at things physically and we've checked in with ourselves mentally, and we've kind of looked at our thoughts. The next thing I look at is emotionally. And <laughs> What, what Ivy and I were talking about when we do this is, you know, emotionally checking in with yourself is very much literally, how am I feeling today? What am I feeling today? And honestly, I think most people struggle with this. I don't think we really know, or, or maybe I'm wrong and tell me if I am, we really know how we are feeling or what emotion we are having at any given moment. And for me to really know, you know, what emotion am I having? I need to have seen what I'm doing physically and what I'm doing mentally first. And that's how I know what I'm feeling emotionally. Because like, okay, so let's say um, anger for me. You know, I don't get angry that often. But when I do, I don't usually notice it as anger. I notice it as this feeling like I'm fighting tears. I notice it as very superficial breathing. I notice it as um, a hyper awareness in my environment and feeling very threatened. And this is because for me, fear is very much, un or fear is very much what underlies my anger. And so I start seeing these things. But where I feel this emotion of anger first is in my body and it's in my thoughts. And so when you start looking at emotionally, you're going to have to rely on the data that you've already gotten from your physical self and from your mental self and then look at that. Of all the mental health check-in stuff, physically, ah, oh, got it. I am good at that. 
the, uh, you know, the analytical mental breakdown of it. Oh yeah. I totally got that too. The emotional aspect of it. Like Autumn was saying, I, I kind of like, we all do. I have to pull from data elsewhere to really understand what's going on with me emotionally. And even then I don't completely get it. I have such a complicated relationship with emotion. And I always have uh, from, from the first time that I went into therapy and I remember my therapist after I, you know, we'd had a few sessions and I'd given her the whole rundown of my past and like my thoughts on everything. And the one comment that she made that has stuck with me to this day was, you know, you're really good about telling me what happened and what you think, but you've never mentioned to me how you feel. And that has stuck with me because it is still something that I have difficulty with because even when I am trying to just feel my emotions and identify them, I automatically go to analysis of that emotion. It is very hard for me to just experience the emotion and let it be as it is. I really have to take from my data that's you know involving my body and my mentality and the kinds of thoughts that I'm having and all of that to really figure out exactly how how I am feeling. I, I think one of the biggest reasons for this is, and even us where we were raised in, in a rather dysfunctional and very emotionally, I would say, open household. Um, in our culture, we're not taught how to talk about emotions. And, and the whole purpose of language is to be able to communicate, you know, from one entity to another, from what's going on in my head and to be able to share that with you. And while we have so many words for mental and physical and psychological and all this other stuff, when it comes to how we feel, that is not something we're taught how to express. It's not something we're taught how to talk about. And part of this is one, just our culture's tendency to want us all to not be emotional and just be typical so that we don't upset the cart. And the other part of it is because emotions are emotional. They're not logical. They're the actual opposite part of that brain that's happening here. This is the part of your brain that's not words and it's not thinking and it's not all of this other stuff we talked about. It's just this primal, infantile existence of feeling and that's literally what it is and so it's really hard to be able to build a language around that and it's not something we're trained to do but it is something you can start training yourself to do and that's why I say I really think knowing what you feel starts with that physical and that mental for a lot of people and I think it's also like our perceptions like not just like oh my heart is racing but you know we've all heard oh I, I feel like there's butterflies in my stomach or gosh I I feel so weighed down today. Or my grandma often used to say, you know, it feels like there's an elephant on my chest. Now, these aren't literal things. You know, my grandma didn't honestly feel as though, you know, a however many ton elephant was sitting on her chest. But when I say these things, everybody gets that idea of like, oh, yeah, butterflies in my stomach. Or, yeah, I feel weighed down. It's not that you feel like you're carrying 300 extra pounds. It's that feeling. And those are kind of where identifying your emotions comes in, is those analogies. Because that's kind of have to how, you, how you have to come at emotions is through those analogies. So you look at your physical perceptions, and you look at your psychological perceptions, and you look at these analogies of your body, like the, I say the beehive in my chest, or I feel like a squirrel on meth. Those are my ways of saying, I feel anxious. I have a lot of, of bumbly rumbly, and that's what it is. It's bumbly rumbly, and I can apply the word anxiety to it, but I can apply that word 
because I've studied those words. And I know it's, you know, a lot of people are like scoff at them, but I love emotion charts. I love them. And this is honestly one of the places I learned how to identify emotions is when I worked in the mental health industry with kids. This is what you do with kids that have high emotions. You say, okay, I see you're angry and you're throwing chairs. We need to make sure that doesn't happen. So we need to know how we feel before we get to throwing chairs. And that's what they do. They say, okay, what's going on with your body? What's going on with your thoughts today? All right. So let's look at the emotion chart. And where do you think you're at? You know, are you kind of on this happy side? Or are you on this angry side? Or are you on the sad side? And then once they do that, I love this chart. And, and maybe we can post one of these Ivy on our, our resources or these, these emotion charts where they start out with like the core bits, like the happy, angry, sad, and then they expand out and out and out and out and out. So you get more specific words. And I love those because that's when it comes to emotions. And I feel with mental health check-ins, if you really want to dive into these, you've got to teach yourself. And yes, it sounds infantile or childish. You're like, well, am I kind of happy or am I kind of sad? The reality is though, that's where most of us are on our education level. So if you want to get into the advanced master's level emotional understanding of things, you're going to have to do the pre-kindergarten and high school and bachelor's work before you can get there. And most of us, in all honesty, are at second, third grade level of emotions because that's the last time anybody really ever talked to us about them. So for me, again, I say, you know, identify the body, identify what's going on in your mind, look at those analogies you have, and from there, try to find the words for it. Try to start building that language. And then from then on, when you have that feeling in your body and you have that thought in your head, you go, oh, that plus that equals this emotion. And you can say that. And it allows you this label to play with right away. Now, even if you don't know what you're feeling, because that is, like I said, it's a lot of work and it's a lot of education. There are some other things you can look at emotion-wise, though. Um, and I think one of these is intensity. Why don't you talk about the intensity level, Ivy? I mean, intensity is something that I definitely understand a little bit more of. Uh, <laughs> even when I can't completely identify what the emotion is that I'm feeling, I definitely know whether I'm feeling it strongly or not. Uh, something that has only over the last few years been a theme that's come up for me, it's been very challenging for me to deal with, is feeling anger for the first time, really. Because uh, that's not something I really allowed myself to feel it's not something that I allow to be part of my repertoire and part of that is because of like qualitative labels that had been applied to that feeling um being angry is bad you are bad or you are wrong for feeling angry so I did not allow myself to ever experience anger because it was not allowed it made me bad it made me wrong it made me a horrible person so since I started experiencing anger uh there have been a lot of times when I have felt it very intensely. And I don't know how much of that is just that it is very intense because it's just, you know, built up over time and how much of it is that I just never allowed myself to experience it, experience before. So it feels very intense to me now. But if I do, when I do feel anger, it is something that I experience that I experience more intensely or it feels like more intensely to me, seems more intense to me than other emotions that I experience. And sometimes it's it's hard for me to, to do anything productive with that. Uh, there are times when I feel 
not like I am out of control of my behaviors, but when I am out of control of my ability to regulate that emotion, I can stop myself from doing, you know, dangerous or violent or abusive or aggressive behaviors. But what I'm feeling inside makes me feel like I am, I refer to it as like going supernova. Like I, so much pressure had built up and then all of a sudden just and I just explode internally. But at the same time, it's all confined. I'm going supernova inside this, this body, inside the confines of my own skin, and there's nowhere for that energy to go. And that, for me, is that's a big part of like the, the mental health check-in stuff because when I am feeling that, I know, okay, I need to, you know, speak to my counselor about this and try to sort out what's going on in an environment that is safe to do that because I am not always safe to handle that one on my own. And I think that that's also something, you know, we all need to think about is that there are some things that we feel with such intensity and especially if we do have difficulty with emotions and if you come from a a very difficult background or if you've been in um you know, domestic abuse situations, you've had a partner that was very abusive. One of the things that kind of does come up with that is you not being allowed to feel things. And then when you get to a spot where you are safe to feel things, it can be very overwhelming. And sometimes you are not safe to experience and process that on your own. It's quite common for people who have been through really rough situations and abusive relationships and those kinds of things to once they get out and they feel safe, they start having night terrors, they start self-harming, they start having all of these issues because now they're experiencing all of these emotions they were not safe or allowed to experience before. And now it's all coming to the surface and you don't know what to do with it. So if you are in a space where you are experiencing something like that, seek support, whether that's from a counselor or whether that's from a peer group or whatever, Uh, intensity of emotion can be incredibly overwhelming. And sometimes you need some help to get through that. And it's not just the intensity, but like you talked about, like how much does it control you? Does it control your thoughts? Does it control your actions? And how, again, like with the thoughts, can you even let it go? Because sometimes you have that emotion and maybe, you know, you're at work and you're like, okay, I cannot feel this now. And you have the ability to go, okay, I'm going to shove this in the box and deal with it later. And well, that's, you know, everybody says, no, you have to deal with it now and you express it. That's nice. But the reality is I need money to live and I've got to work and work's not going to pay me to have a mental breakdown. So maybe sometimes you can do that. But that's another cue is can you or can you not? Because sometimes you can't. Sometimes you lock yourself in the bathroom and you cry for 20 minutes and people wonder what the hell happened to you because you can't let that emotion go or you can't shift from it and you can't control it because it's controlling you and it's controlling your actions. And I think what Ivy said is especially relevant just on that that basic safety level is being able to recognize the intensity of the emotion and how much it's controlling you so that you can take actions necessary to prevent harm from happening, whether that's harm to you, whether that's harm to your relationship, whether that's harm to your dishes, whatever that harm is, just even being aware of the intensity. So, you know, if you're like, I just, I, I'm not good emotionally, like Ivy has said, you know, and I can't identify what I'm feeling and I don't have the words for it. It's okay for right now, focus on some of those other things like the intensity and can you let it go? And then another thing also that I think a lot of us can be aware of too, is just the stability of our emotions. You know, they talk about mood swings. Um, I've sometimes said I have a whole mood playground. It's not just a swing set. 
how stable are they? You know, you may not know exactly the word for what you're feeling, but you know what you were feeling four seconds ago sure as heck isn't what you're feeling now. And it keeps changing throughout the day. And so be aware of how stable are your emotions typically and how easily are your mood swinging. And then again, one of the things I really, really, really want to say emotionally in this area is does it make sense for the context? And I feel it's so important here for any trauma survivor. Because we've talked about before in our in our trauma episode about how you overreact to things because you're actually reacting to something that happens in the past. And I feel emotions, this emotional area is one of the biggest areas that you can really start finding those trauma triggers for yourself. And for me, I, it took me a long time, but I was actually able to identify how I felt age-wise. And so I would have these feelings and these fears or these, you know, anger, the sadness, and I was able to tie it into almost an age range. And this came in part from working with kids and being studied on like, you know, developmental and stuff, or just being around kids is helpful. But for me, like, for example, I would um, feel overwhelmingly scared. I would feel nobody was there to protect me. And I felt like all the monsters under the bed were going to get me. And I feel like I just needed to be held and I needed somebody to hold me together. And I felt so scared. And I realized what these were, were these were things I was feeling around two or three. These are traumas that happened to me two or three. And so I got taken back to this age of three. So when you have those emotions and they don't match in the context and you have that past trauma and you're trying to find the trigger and you're trying to find like, how do I resolve this? See if you can start finding that age range. You know, is this something a three-year-old would feel? You know, because when you're 16, you're not necessarily worried about somebody holding you together and you're not necessarily worried about the monsters under the bed. But when you are three, you're definitely worried about that. And so like with Ivy, with some of that anger, anger, not always, but a lot of times can be really tied into the adolescence. You know, like you can't control me. You don't know me. You don't understand those are things you're going to hear a typical adolescent say, right? They're having a meltdown. That's coming from that pre-adolescent adolescent area. So think about the way a child controls their emotions and a child expresses their emotions. And so when you do start having those emotions and they're not in that emotional context, you know, they don't make sense. You know, I'm, I'm freaking out because somebody left a dish in the sink that doesn't match what's actually happening in reality. Start seeing if you can pinpoint that age range. And if you can, you can start pinpointing what was happening in your life so that you can start resolving it. The one other thing that I want to cover as far as whether I'm, what you're feeling matches with what's going on with you. Grief is a big one that, I mean, we're all aware of grief. We're all aware that it hits us really hard. I think though that because of the pace that, that our world moves at and the expectations that are on us, a lot of us, expect ourselves to just be able to like pick up and move on quickly. Like you have a, you have, you have a grieving period of like two weeks and then you just have to get back to life and be fine. And grief can last for a really long time. And it goes through a lot of cycles. It's not just one emotion. Grief is very complex. It's very complicated. It is a process that takes quite a long time. And that is not just grief that's related to loss in the sense of a death. That can be grief that is related to the end of a relationship or the end of a phase in your life, a career shift, or maybe something happened 
to you physically, you experienced a physical trauma where now you're not capable of doing the things that you used to before. And so you're grieving what you've lost, you know, the things that you can no longer do that you used to love. Grief can apply to, you know, if you go through a, a messy custody battle and now you maybe you don't get to see your kids at all anymore, or you only get to see them part of the time and you're you're grieving for that. So whatever you are feeling when there when grief is a theme, when you're going through something like that, don't expect it to go away really quickly. And don't expect it to say, stay the same. Sometimes you're going to feel angry. Sometimes you're going to feel sad. Sometimes you're going to feel empty. Sometimes you'll feel numb. Um, sometimes you'll feel nostalgic. There's so many emotions that can come with that. And that process, you know, that can last for months or years, or it may be something that never fully goes away, but that, you know, you can, you can function pretty well for a while and then it kind of comes back for a while and you struggle with it. So always be aware of whether grief is a factor in what you're feeling. If you have experienced any significant loss, not just death, but any significant loss of, you know, a loved one or a lifestyle or a relationship, whatever, if it is still affecting you, it is going to continue to affect your emotions for a very, very long time. And, and I think that points out just another important part of like this mental health check-in. It's not just about changing things and fixing things. The mental health check-in is at its base about being aware, aware of yourself and aware of your feelings. And awareness doesn't mean you need to change it. Sometimes it means accepting it. Sometimes it means mitigating damage that could occur from it. So you don't have to change it. Sometimes you just need to accept it and hold it and be with it because that's all you can do. And grief is a great example of that. There's no changing that. There's no magic wand. It just is. And you have to sit with it and you have to be with it and it sucks and it hurts and that's okay. All right. So we're doing the mental health check-in. We've looked at ourselves physically. We've looked at ourselves psychologically, or sorry, uh, mentally. We've looked at ourselves emotionally. Well, that's all of us, right? Well, we don't exist in a vacuum. So the next piece of the mental health check-in is now you need to start looking outside yourself and looking at the connections to others. So the next step of the mental health check-in is looking at yourself relationally. And this isn't just necessarily a specific relationship, like how do I feel about my boyfriend, husband, spouse, wife, whatever that day. It's humanity in general. Um, some days you wake up and you're like, I wish the whole world would burn and then be reborn so they could be burned again. And you just hate everybody. I've, I've had those days. And other days you wake up and you're like, golly gosh, I'm just really happy to be part of this community. And I just, I just love others and they're just doing so great. I, I have a lot less of those days, not really a positive humanity person. It's not just the general, but it's also the specific with your partner or your spouse or your sister or your cousin or your aunt or your boss or your coworker. It's looking at everything relationally. Why don't you chime in on this, Ivy, with some of your thoughts about that? One of the things that has always kind of bothered me about society, and I get why this is the case, because society is about lots of people living together and working together to create this system where people are supported and all that kind of stuff. Ideally, great, whatever. Not everybody is super community-minded or community-oriented. And I would like to remove the stigma around that because I think a lot of times there's this idea 
that if you aren't particularly social or you don't really want to spend a lot of time around people or you don't have a very big social network or whatever, if you're very introverted, tend to be a homebody, don't like to go out that much, that there's that that's indicative of an issue. Sometimes maybe. If you are somebody who is normally very socially outgoing, you love people, you want to be around everybody, and then all of a sudden you just don't, you know, that can definitely be an indication that there's something going on. You know, maybe you're feeling depressed and it's making you want to withdraw or you're really stressed out. Like that can be an indication. But I have never liked the idea that because you don't want to be around a lot of people or you don't really, you know, you don't really care that much about society. You're not very community minded. I've never liked the idea that because of that, it must mean there's something wrong with you. Because I think there's probably more of us out there than you know anybody realizes where maybe we're just not. And it's not that there's anything wrong with us. It's just, we just don't function well within the context of society. We don't function well, you know, in big social gatherings or, or whatever. An example of that in my own life is I worked for a very short period of time in the corporate world and I hated it. I felt like I was falling apart all the time. I was extremely anxious, depressed. I was in pain all the time. I was always stressed out. I was just upset a lot. My bipolar was so much worse. My depression especially was so much worse. I'm a massage therapist now. Do I still get burnout sometimes? Yes. Is it hard on my body? Yes. But my mental health, since I became a massage therapist, so much better because it's not you know, I, I don't sit in a cubicle. That doesn't work for me. I'm not at my computer all day. That doesn't work for me. I don't have to interact with tons of different people every day. I interact with a few select people. It's one-on-one. -on -one. A lot of times they're asleep. Uh, it's, it's much lower pressure on me. So I would like to, you know, kind of address that, that stigma that I think is very unfairly placed on a lot of people who they're not into the whole like universal community. It doesn't mean that there's something wrong necessarily. Maybe that's just the way that you operate. And sometimes society doesn't understand and they don't appreciate that. And they think that there's something wrong and they want to fix that. And they're like, oh, but you, you know, you should want to be around all of us and being human is great. And we're all part of this big community and we can all get along and we all help each other. And it's amazing. Not everybody's geared towards that. And some people have a very difficult time connecting to that. I have a very difficult time connecting to that. And I have a very difficult time connecting to the concept of family. It's not something I relate to. It's not something that I understand. So I used to think that that was something that was wrong with me. And that it was something that I needed to fix and that I needed to correct. And it was just an issue that I hadn't addressed yet or I hadn't been able to work through yet. That for me is now not so much a part of my mental health check-in. So for me, that, that mental health check-in looks different than it would for, say, my boyfriend, who is a very outgoing social person. It, when he starts to withdraw, he doesn't go hang out with friends. He doesn't meet up with anybody. I start to worry about him a little bit because I know that's odd for him, but it's not odd for everybody. And I think that's a really important issue um, to bring up, though, and, and it, it, especially relationally. You really have to, again, have that awareness of self. And this is why you start doing that and identifying what parts of it you are and are not okay with. And part of that in the relationally is how social am I or am I not? And is that okay for me? really to focus in on on relationally and like well what is going on relationally like how do you do that well part of it's like looking at your tone you're using with others um the thoughts you have about others when you're driving in traffic are they angry and rude and violent <laughs> or are they just blasé or even maybe non-existent um also your body language towards others can be a big cue of how you're reacting relationally with people um your general patience 
for others is big. And I feel like for a lot of us, not everybody, because there are a few people out there that are very much definitely super loners or just super don't have many of any relationships. A lot of us do have relationships with somebody, whether it's a boyfriend or a wife or whether it's a, um, a coworker or, you know, even in this case, maybe it's an animal. Maybe it's your dog or your parakeet and you have a relationship with them. Well, that's a valid relationship with which you're getting some sort of psychological input and that's going to give you clues about your psychological state. And I think that's part of it too is can you shift your interactions based on who you're interacting with? And that's another relational cue. Like, how am I doing relationally today? Well, am I just rude to everybody? Or was I rude to the guy that cut me off in traffic? And was I annoyed with my dog who peed on my foot today? And was I sweet to my boyfriend that gave me a kiss? You know, can you shift your interactions based on what's going on? And I feel like that's an important part of checking in with yourself relationally today. It's like, well, how, am I, how am I doing that? And again, control. Do you feel like you have any control over your actions and the interaction? And again, this is going to come with social skills and other things. And you need to very much be aware of your limits because a lot of situations I get into socially, I feel like I'm drowning. And so I don't feel like I have a lot of control over my actions, but I also know that's normal and, and I'm okay with that. And I'm, you know, slowly working on trying to deal with that. But maybe you do typically feel like you're in control and today you feel like, oh gosh, I'm, I'm out of control. I feel like things are just getting carried away from me or I'm getting pushed into things I don't want to do. Those boundaries, that's an important relational part of how you're doing today. Um, and I think safety. Again, I love safety. It's a big thing for me. Um, but a lot of us also that have been through trauma, hypervigilance, that is a core um, part of PTSD symptomology, being hypervigilant, being aware of everything, not being willing to sit with your back to a door or to a window, needing to view the room, seeing everybody as a threat. So how do you generally feel safety-wise? Are you on high alert? Are you suspicious or mistrustful? I, I think there's all cues. Like even if you aren't that super social, like Ivy said, that's totally fine. I'm not. I'm definitely not. I think I go out on average once every six months um, and that's pretty good for me. But still, there's there's cues in there. What are some of those cues, Ivy, that says, okay, relationally, something's off with me? What are some of your cues? Some of my cues, anytime that I find myself withdrawing from my boyfriend, Calvin and I are very, very close. We're very affectionate with each other. When I find myself withdrawing from him, I know something's wrong because that is very out of the ordinary for me. Romantic relationships that I am in is one of the few places where I am able to actually express my emotions and to just feel my emotions and not have to question it too much. When that shifts, when I start questioning, when I start doubting myself, when I start trying to overanalyze things, when I'm withdrawing, all of those things are indications to me that something is off. If I go, you know, a whole month without really reaching out to anybody that I consider to be a loved one or a friend, that's an indication that now I have withdrawn too much because for me, it is almost addictive. I am very protective of my time. I'm very greedy with my time. I like my alone time and I don't need very much interaction with other people. But where I start to recognize that it is becoming a problem is that I get less and less and less patient with everybody in the world. And I start thinking very negatively of all humanity 
me or on the flip side of that, when I find myself being needy, because that is very weird and uncommon for me to require more interaction, like a sig significantly more interaction. Because when I go a long time and I haven't really spoken to anybody, I might reach out to like one person or two people. But if I have a day where I am like, I haven't spoken to anybody in a while, I'm going to reach out to everybody that I know that tells me that I am experiencing something, I'm feeling lonely or I'm feeling disconnected or there's something that I'm needing from a, from a social interaction that I'm not getting or I need extra support with something that I'm going through, even if I'm not aware that I'm having a hard time because that's sometimes the case where I won't know that I'm really having a hard time. And then I have a conversation with Autumn or somebody else that I'm close to and they ask me how I'm doing and I burst into tears and I didn't know that I was struggling until somebody asked me if I was okay, because I am so disconnected from my emotions. And, you know, we all, because we are social creatures, some of us less social than others, but we are all social creatures. And we do need that feedback from other people sometimes to, to almost be a mirror for us. So we can see what's going on with ourselves. Uh, whether that's because somebody asked you directly if you're okay and you burst into tears or you're talking to a friend of yours and they're going through a hard time and it just strikes a chord with you and you can relate to it because you realize, oh shit, like I'm having the same issue and I didn't even realize that I was having it. Yeah, that's very true. I love that idea of, you know, the relationships is the mirror. And again, I mean, I'm not saying make every relationship about yourself, but for the mental health check-in, that's what you're checking. You're you're checking the mirror. You're checking that relational mirror to see what's going on. And I know just just to throw out a couple other specific ones. Um, for me personally, I have two big ones relationally that I know are issues for me. Um, one of them is when I stiffen up when my boyfriend's affectionate. I I've actually found this is tied in a lot to my autism and sensory overload. Some days I just am so sensually overload. A hug, or him being close to me is too much. And and I know that that's a huge change for me because I am in my intimate relationship a cuddly, feely, touchy person. You know, I'm the person that was wanting to hold your hand or my head on your lap or my fingers in your hair. I am touchy, 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 touchy. And so a relational change for me that I notice that indicates hey something's going on is I stiffen up. He gets close and I stiffen up and and I start being like why why are you touching me? Why are you near me? And I know that's not right and it doesn't make sense. Another big relational thing for me, and this is more the general population, and, and I call that um, my, uh, my, my witch lynching feeling is, is what I've termed it. But it's, I feel like I am a witch in, you know, the old history. And at any moment, the whole village is going to find out some behavioral thing I've done. And they're going to come at me with torches and pitchforks and flamey at the stake and, and I know that's not like reality going to happen but I do worry about like that what if the community turns on me like everybody knows I'm different and everybody knows I'm wrong and, and I'm going to be persecuted for this and it's it's kind of a general paranoia mixed with a sense of I am wrong somehow and that's a definite cue for me that hey something's going on here and that's again that relationship as the mirror and again, the, the last thing on this is, do these feelings make sense for the context, okay? Because a big thing to consider here, for example, um, with relationships, 
there are tons of unsafe, toxic, abusive relationships. And abusive relationships aren't always physically abusive. Sometimes it's gaslighting. Sometimes it's emotional abuse or verbal abuse or cutting you off from others. And so, you know, if you're having a lot of relational difficulties, maybe you kind of need to look at that. Is this a safe relationship or is it toxic? Is it abusive? Is somebody cutting me off? You know, is the reason I haven't seen my friends in six months because every time I do, my boyfriend says, hey, why don't you not do that? Or let's do this instead. Or he doesn't want you to talk to them. So it's really important for your own personal safety, I always feel, to look at relational feelings in the context, you know, and and that abusive relationship, I'm going to say, doesn't even apply to you know, your significant other. We always think about abusive as boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, 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 boyfriend, boyfriend, however, but it doesn't have to. It can be a, a corporate relationship. It can be your boss. Some bosses are highly abusive. I've worked some very toxic bosses and yeah, everything is shit with your coworkers, with everything because of something that's going on outside there. And it can also be with friends. Sometimes you have friends that are just sucking you dry and they give nothing. And so it's really important relation-wise just for protective factors for you to check in on those relationships and be like, hey, this is what I'm feeling relationally and this is what's going on with me. Is it going on with me? Or am I having a very understandable and logical reaction to the relationship I'm in? Well, then the very last thing, so we've now looked at ourselves physically, we've looked at ourselves mentally, we have looked at ourselves emotionally, and we've looked at relationally. And now we're going to go one step further and we're going to go to an even larger connection and that's going to be spiritually. And this is the last thing. And a lot of people want to write this off because they're like, oh, I'm not religious or, you know, I'm an atheist. And it's not necessarily talking about belief in a God or spiritualism or anything like that. When we're saying this mental health check-in, including the spiritual point, that's about just your general connection to the universe. Things like, do you have a sense of hope? Do you have a sense of purpose? You don't need to believe in a God to have a sense of purpose in your life. There's a lot of atheists that have a great driving sense of purpose. And for them, that's that spirituality focus we're talking about. You know, do you feel like you're doing good or there's a point to your existence? I think this also ties into do you feel universally supported? You know, I talked about that witch lynching feeling. Well, that can also kind of go into the universe because sometimes I get in the feeling like the universe hates me. And it's not necessarily God or a fate or anything. It's just this general feeling that the world is out to get me. You know, I get the worst luck. All of these bad things happen to me and the world is picking on me. And, and I feel like that's the spiritual piece, that bigger piece. Right, for, for me, that part has always, for one reason or another, has always come pretty easily, even in the worst times in my life. And maybe it's because I needed that spiritual that spiritual part of it to process and cope with the, the things that were going on kind of like in my environment with our family or in, you know, bad relationships I've been in or whatever. For me feeling that, that universal support and that universal connection it has been a pretty consistent saving grace. And there's been very few times when I've lost it. That is a huge indication to me that something is horribly wrong when I feel like, I have no place in the universe where it would be better if I just never existed. Not, not just be better off dead, but be better off if I never existed. If my consciousness had never formed, if it had, if it just ended, if it never was. 
like that to me is an indication that something has gone really very horribly wrong because it's incredibly rare for me to feel that but for a lot of for a lot of other people that is a very common feeling and that is an often discounted part of that that mental health check-in do you feel like you deserve to exist? Do you feel like you are supported in some way by the universe? Do you feel like everything just goes wrong for you? Do you feel like nothing can possibly go right? Nobody's ever going to love you. There is no, you know, there is no higher power. Maybe you don't need to believe in a higher power. This is one factor among many that I'm talking about here. But those are all things that a lot of us do discount and think of as being not important, but it is so important because all of us have some sense of where we fit in the universe or where we don't think we fit in the universe. And that's not just about, you know, our immediate environment. That's not about our, just about our immediate family and those social interactions or how we fit into society as a whole. That's like, where do you fit into the world? Where do you fit into the universe? Do you feel like you have some reason to keep going? That is something that comes easy for me, but it's not something that comes easy for a lot of people. And if that is something that you struggle with, you are definitely not alone. Cause I, I think that's, I think that's probably a struggle for more people than not. And as I was saying, you do not need to be religious to feel that connection to the universe. We all have that connection to the universe it's just whether or not we're able to experience it or feel it in any sort of meaningful way any sort of way that that benefits us and i think on all levels faith of some kind is important and and, and again it's not necessarily faith in any particular god or tenet uh, an atheist can have faith an atheist can have faith in science an atheist can have faith the sun will rise tomorrow but it's that belief in something and so with the spiritual check and you definitely want to see you know be aware of what your faith is you know what do i believe in what do i generally believe in in life you know and, and for me it's like super general like i believe in ultimately that things balance out. There's dark matter, there's light matter. Um, ecology, if you if you have a setting, it's going to want to balance out so that the population supports itself. I believe in balance. That's one of my tenets of faith. And it's not really anything super sciencey and it's not really anything super frou-frou, you know, spiritual. It's just what I believe in. And that's one of the things you want to check in with that on that spirituality check-in. Am I secure in my faith? You know, know what your faith is. And, and do I feel secure in that? Do I feel changes? Do I have doubts today? And then along with that too, am I participating in normal for me spiritual activities? You know, if you are a churchgoer, have you stopped? Or if you aren't a churchgoer, have you started going? If you're a meditator, have you been doing that recently? You know, if you're somebody that really believes in, you know, my purpose is to help others and you spend a lot of time um, volunteering at shelters or food lines or whatever that is, and you haven't been doing that, well, what's going on? It, it's really a very grand general idea of faith and, and belief and purpose for you that makes sense for you, that is personal to you. And then once you know that, how is that going for you today? How do you feel about it today? I mean, I guess that's the one I have the least amount to say on because I feel like it is so huge, but at the same time, so completely specific to you that it's something you are going to have to figure out 
what is my spiritual check-in? What does that look like for me? And and I think also it's looking beyond the, you know, our daily rituals, whether we go to church, whether we don't go to church, whether we meditate, whether we do yoga, like whatever it is that is your rituals or your mantras or whatever. I think another thing to take a look at when it comes to your spiritual well-being in context of the, you know, holistic well-being is has your foundation been shaken? recently when it comes to your faith, whatever it is that you believe in, whatever your convictions are. And, you know, that may not necessarily be about a God or a religion or, you know, the universe as a whole, but that can also apply to your principles, your values, your priorities. Like that's in my mind, I mean, yeah, other parts, you know, contribute into that, your relationships and things like that contribute into those considerations. But I think of my principles and values and all of that as being very much connected to my faith and my perception of the universe and my place in it. So when I go through a significant shift in thinking on that, it's something that I need to consider. It's not necessarily a sign that something is broken, but it is a sign that I am changing. And that's such a fundamental change that it's something I need to be aware of because it means other things about me are probably going to change as well because I have gone through lots of shifts when it comes to faith and spirituality. I was raised Mormon, Autumn and I both were, and you know, I was really into the church and then I was out of the church and then I was really into the church for a short period of time and then I completely pulled away from it because I looked at Mormonism and I have no personal bad experiences with Mormonism lots of people do. I do not. But even though I do not have personal negative connotations with the church based on my own experiences, I looked at Mormonism and you know Christianity and organized religion as a whole. And I just, the more I looked at it, the less sense it made to me. And it didn't feel right. It didn't fit. I couldn't, I, I couldn't make up for the pieces that seemed like they were missing. And I couldn't just have blind faith in it. And that was a shift for me because I used to be able to have that blind faith. And then I just I couldn't. And it was such a huge change for me. My entire, my entire spiritual philosophy changed. And a lot of my values changed. My priorities changed. The way that I viewed the world, morality, you know, judgment, all of those things shifted and changed. And who I am now on a spiritual perspective is drastically different from who I was 10 years ago. And that influenced so many other parts of my life. So when that happens, be aware, just on the front end of it, when you start to feel those rumblings of, you know, questioning and, and you know, your spiritual philosophy is evolving, that is going to affect other parts of your life. That's not something to be afraid of. And it's not necessarily something that needs to be fixed. And you don't have to, you know, go back to the way that you were. Sometimes it's just time for you to change. But be aware that that's going to affect all other aspects of your life as those dominoes start to fall. That's the only other thing that I really wanted to contribute to that because spirituality, whatever your version of it is, is so personal and it's so subjective and it's such a fundamental part of how we establish what is important and what is good and positive or what is you know right and wrong or whatever. That is such a fundamental part of who we are as people and as spiritual beings. I agree with that a lot. And and I think it also speaks to that last thing, which I've thrown out in everything, is does whatever's going on make sense for the context? And if you are having doubt or you are in that shift, then things are going to feel off. 
in your spirituality check-in. Things are going to be off because they're going to be different than normal because you are going through that shift. And so be aware of that context. And I think what you spoke to is probably something we should have stressed without. I think we just don't even think about it because it's like, yeah, duh. All of these things are not standalone. Spiritual, relationships, your, your um, mental health, your emotional, how you feel physical. All of these are interconnected. That's why we're looking at them. It's not like you can look at a relationship completely different, you know, divided from everything else. Your spirituality plays into all these aspects. Your relationships plays into all these aspects. All of this stuff is interconnected. So as you're doing this mental health check-in, you're going to see a lot of overlap and you're going to see from repetitiveness. And it doesn't necessarily matter like, you know, oh, well, does this question belong in this category or does it belong in that category? As long as you're basically checking these things, you're good. You know, it doesn't have to be a specific labeled area. It's just the ideas you need to holistically look at yourself. And I think that also brings with, you know, we've, we've gone over, what do I look at? I look at myself physically. I look at myself mentally. I look at myself emotionally, relationally, and spiritually. I've looked at five areas that encompass all of the things that are going on with me. Well, how often do you do that? Because now we know what we're doing. Well, how often do you do that? Well, I would suggest, honestly, if this isn't something you've done regularly, start doing it daily. Make it a habit. Um, for me, I, I do it probably two, three times throughout the day. I do it whenever I notice something is different. I, I do it in the background so often. Well, that's how this mental health check-in is. You start doing it on a regular basis. You start setting aside time. You start doing that. And eventually you can do it almost without thinking. You know, it's just something that happens and you run through it. But you, you need to do it regularly. I mean, I cannot stress that enough. Ivy, stress it some more. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're stressing me out by putting me under all this pressure. Um, no, <laughs> I agree. Doing it every day. It does seem a little overwhelming with all the stuff that we've gone over. The reason why it seems overwhelming if you are not accustomed to doing this is because we covered a lot of bases that you would kind of start with. That will not stay the same forever. Once you get a feel for what, you know, is, you know, kind of daily factors for you, you won't have to ask yourself all of these questions. Like, I don't really have to check in with myself spiritually very often because that's not generally something that shifts a whole lot for me on a regular basis. When I feel something change, I'll check in about it. But like for me, my daily thing, and I do it daily, it is automatic. When I roll out of bed in the morning, I am immediately taking into consideration where I'm at that day, like how I'm feeling physically, what's going on with me, mentally, what's going on with me, you know, emotionally, how am I feeling? Like it's, it's just everything. It's just automatic. It happens as soon as I roll out of bed in the morning, whether I want it to or not, because I've been doing it for so long now. But the things that I look at, it's a much smaller list than what we've presented today. And a lot of it I get through very quickly because I know what things are consistent for me. If I go through those things and it, nothing accounts for what's going on with me, then I'll start kind of branching out and considering other things. But for me, when I get out of bed in the morning, the first thing I'm paying attention to you know, am I having any stomach problems? Am I having any aches and pains? Do I feel tensed up? Uh, what did I eat yesterday? You know, that, that sort of thing. I, I start paying attention to the physical stuff first. And then it's, you know, how am I feeling kind of mentally, emotionally day in the sense of, am I feeling positive or negative today? Am I feeling optimistic or am I feeling hopeless? Those sorts of things. And those are things that I'm aware of instantly, pretty much. 
And once you get used to doing this on a regular basis, it is instant. Like Autumn was saying, it happens in the background. You don't even really have to think about it. It's just something that happens. It's something that you do automatically. And that list of questions that you ask yourself does get smaller because it is individual. So it will conform to you and what's going on in your life at the moment. There are times when, you know, relationship is a bigger thing, you know, because when when Calvin and I first moved in together, that first year of a couple moving in together, living together under the same roof, that comes with a lot of good things and it comes with a lot of stressful things. So I checked in a lot more often with myself because we weren't used to each other yet. And so I needed to make sure that I wasn't putting myself on the back burner. I wasn't being unreasonable to him or like what, you know, were we irritable with each other? Or were we being really affectionate with each other? Like I checked in on those things a lot more as we've gotten more comfortable with each other. I don't feel like I need to check in on that stuff as, as often. So it's going to kind of shift and change, you know, from, you know, going through your life at different phases and what's going on with you, all those things are going to shift and change. Consistent ones for me are diet. Cause I know that has such a huge impact on my mental health. You know, my, just what's going on with my body in general has a really big impact on that. Another thing that has a huge impact on it for me, I end up rehashing a lot of things about childhood trauma because those are themes that come up in my life all the time, whether I want them to or not. I've been working on it for years. It still comes up. So, you know, I, part of my mental health check-in is how much am I thinking about my childhood today? Because that gives me a sense of what is today going to kind of look like for me? Because if I can't think about anything but my childhood and my family growing up, that's going to, I'm going to have a hard time shifting my perspective that day. Is it impossible? No, but it's, it's going to be kind of challenging. But, you know, those are things that are consistent for me. This could feel overwhelming for you initially if you are not used to doing this, but it's only because when you first start, you kind of have to go through the whole gamut. You have to ask yourself all of these different questions. And like Autumn said, it doesn't matter how, if you want strictly categorize these things because there is a lot of area where it kind of blurs together and it overlaps. The point is to ask yourself the questions. And if it feels too overwhelming right at the get-go, start small. Start with one thing. You know, maybe the first two, three weeks that you do this, you're really only paying attention to what's going on with your body because that's going to start giving you clues to other things. If you feel overwhelmed by trying to do this whole thing every day, start small. Pick a few questions to ask yourself every day or pick a category to ask yourself questions about every day so you can get into the habit of doing it and so you can start recognizing patterns, so you can start being more aware, being more conscious of what's going on with you. That's what's really important is the consistency. Don't let yourself get overwhelmed by it unnecessarily. Start small if you have to, but do it every day. And before you know it, you'll be at a spot where you don't even think about it. It's just something that automatically happens. You'll do it when you roll out of bed in the morning. And like Autumn was saying, if something feels off halfway through the day, you'll just automatically run through that checklist. You won't have to think twice about it. It'll be second nature. It'll come so easy and it's so beneficial. It is one of the most empowering things that you can do for yourself. And that sounds cliche and it sounds stupid, but it's so true. It's one of the most empowering things that you can do for yourself to be aware of yourself, to make yourself enough of a priority that you pay attention to yourself and what's going on with you and what you need and what you're struggling with. Because so often we completely put ourselves on the back burner and then we completely fall apart before we even acknowledge or recognize that something is an issue. Don't let yourself get to that point. It's not good for you. It's not good for anybody else. 
I know a lot of us, you know, you can put yourself on the back burner because you are trying to be everything to everybody else. But if you fall apart at the seams, guess what? You can't be everything to everybody else. You can't anyway. That is an unreasonable expectation to place on yourself. But you don't do anybody favors by completely ignoring your own well-being. That's why this is so important to do and to be consistent about. Because you need to be healthy and good for yourself as much as for the people that you love. It is so important to consistently check in with yourself and know how you're doing and know if there are problems that need to be addressed. Pay attention to patterns, take care of yourself. It is so important, even if right now, you don't think that you deserve to take care of yourself, even if you're only doing it for other people, that's fine. It doesn't matter what your reason is. Start taking care of yourself. Start checking in. Start doing what you need to do to be balanced and to be healthy and to, to be stable. Or even when you can't be those things, to still love yourself and care about yourself, even on the days when it's really, really hard to do. I, I totally agree. And and like you said, with all that, like I'm going to be going ahead and I'll, I'll be posting a little PDF, a kind of a, a brief version of what we covered today. That's the mental health checklist on our our uh, podcast resources on our website. But like Ivy said, it's going to be personal for you and it's going to get narrowed down. So this is not the mental health checklist that I'm putting up. This is just a starter point so you can design your own and you can figure out what's going on with you. And the thing is, we talked about with the mental health check-in at the very beginning. We said, you know, this is about figuring out when things are off and identifying those symptoms of when things are off. And we also said, this is about identifying the root of the issue. And we haven't really touched on that a lot yet. It directly. Ivy did it peripherally just now because she was talking about how you're identifying those patterns, right? And that's really what this is. Once you start doing the mental health checklist, you're starting to become aware of how you currently are. You're starting to become aware of what things in life affect you. Well, once you become aware of how you are and you're becoming aware of what things in the environment are triggering you or moving you, well, that's how you figure out what your root causes are. You look through these patterns and you've, well, you look through this data and you find a pattern and that pattern's going to lead you somewhere. Um, and like Ivy said, you know, this can sound overwhelming, especially all of these questions. I mean, we've talked about this for quite a while today. And you're like, oh my God, this is huge. But it doesn't have to be. Like we say with everything, you can start small. You don't have to fix everything at once. You don't have to focus on everything at once. It, it's a journey. It's a path. And, and you are in control of that journey and you are in control of that path. So you decide where you want to go. We will have these resources up for you. All the stuff that we talked about today, the mental health checklist that, that we've kind of made. Uh, I think we were also going to try to have one of the um, charts where it, they, like the emotional intelligence charts right on where it kind of shows you the faces with different expressions and stuff so you can decide what you feel. <laughs> uh, so we're, we'll have those posted on our website, differentfunctional.com. It will be under resources and then podcast. And so it'll be under the episode um, for this. Uh, what are we naming this episode? We didn't even think about that. This is this is episode three, uh, mental health check-ins. Okay, so episode three, mental health check-ins. That's where you will find it on our website under podcast resources. We are also going to post those things on our social media. Uh, we are on Facebook as Different Functional. 
Instagram as different underscore functional and Twitter as diff, D-I-F-F underscore functional. So that's where you can find us on social media. We will share all of those things with you and we would love to uh, hear some feedback and input from you guys. And remember, different does not mean defective. Thank you everybody for listening. Have a great day. We'll talk to you later. Come on.